We learned late in the show on Monday morning that the golden jet, Bobby Hull, has died at the age of 84. We checked in with Joe Piscucci, the former sports director at Global Winnipeg. Maybe you've heard of Dry January. Well, what about Dry February? It's a Canadian Cancer Society initiative. So we checked in with them to see what sort of interest are they seeing and how much this phenomenon is growing. Why is Twitter such a cesspool of hatred? I asked a question on Twitter on Sunday. was met with nothing but anger and animosity. Jennifer Jones, once again the champion at the Manitoba Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Greg Mackling was there and had a chat with the champ. Also at the curling, Greg's wife thought she won something pretty big. Turns out, not so much. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Monday, January 30th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb under the extreme cold... And, uh, so going to school at those temps, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. What I, I can, oh. I, I can never remember the threshold. Is it minus 45 wind chill? Yes, but it's by the forks. So even with the, what it is at the airport, I believe the Winnipeg school divisions, they go by the forks and I was just checking some school divisions outside of Winnipeg and it's minus 44 oh, with the winds. So <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. So they're close, but I mean, I guess it depends. I know that the there have been some discussions that they have this threshold, but it also just might depend on what they see with those conditions as well. But if you're just going on what they do for cold, sorry, kiddos, I am the Grinch that stole your school day. You're going. <laughs> uh, Mackling. Yes, Mr. McGarry. How are you doing after the uh, the Jets and their their wonderful performance on Saturday? Was it Saturday? They played the Flyers? Yeah. That's terrible. You know, after that game on... And you were there in person, were I was, you, I was. Uh, you Does know. that make it worse? Yes, yes. The only thing <laughs> the only thing that made it better was the fact that I was with some really solid people and bumped into some old friends who happened to be sitting right in front of us at the game on Saturday night. So it actually turned out as a social endeavor. It was uh, terrific. However, what a painful exercise of hockey that was the Winnipeg Jets looking completely disinterested on Saturday night. And that on the heels of what they did Thursday night against Buffalo, you would have thought that after hearing it from the media and from Rick Bonus, the, that the Jets would have come out with a lot more inspired effort on Saturday night. And I, I think it was worse. I think it was worse Saturday than it was Thursday, and the fans let them have it a couple of different times with the boos, and I can't believe it took uh, to get to 4 nothing before the fans started booing. I didn't participate. I was that disinterested. I didn't even bother booing. Really? Yes. I don't like the booing. Oh, lots of people don't like the booing. Uh, yeah, but you know like what? They're still my kids, too, Loren, and when they... Uh, when you they boo you when children? They, no, but when they, <laughs> when they mess up, I let them know about it. That's a good point. That's mm-hmm. an interesting point. Uh, but not by booing. Like, if I'm having a well, bad day and you uh, guys started booing you know, me while I was on the job, but, you know, like, I don't know. Well, my kids I, don't live doesn't... on, uh, you know, uh, they aren't sequestered from me. They're not on the other side of uh, of glass and netting. Like, I can actually have a relationship, a conversation with them. Uh, for most fans, the only interaction they get with these players is uh, to cheer when they score a goal to sing along when they sing the appropriate song in the uh, or play the appropriate song in the arena or to boo when you're 
when you're disenfranchised and in 11 years plus of the National Hockey League back in Winnipeg, I have to say, I don't remember too many times when the fans have booed. They were completely justified on Saturday night. Whether you like it or not, those who are booing, I don't think have anything to apologize for. All right, well, we'll have more hockey coming up a bit later on. Cameron Poitras has your keys to the game. Jets back in action tonight against St. Louis. We were giving away tickets all of last week. We don't want to leave you hanging with a lousy prize. So Poitras will give you that just after 8.10. And on the subject of sports as well, we'll have more on this at 6.30, but uh, some decidedly more exciting news, I suppose, came out of East St. Paul over the weekend, Mackley. Manitoba's new Women's Curling Championship is a name we've heard many times before. Jennifer Jones reclaims uh, the Buffalo, as they say, will represent Manitoba at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts in Kamloops coming up starting February 17th. It was an exciting uh, five days of curling out in East St. Paul on Friday when Christian O'Mel joined us. Uh, Loren, I guess I sort of jinxed things because I, I made the presumptive the discussion and, and statement that, you know, could it be anybody other than Caitlin Laws and Jennifer Jones in the final? Well, strange things happen on their way to coronations, yeah. and uh, Jennifer Jones wins, but she did not defeat the team that most people thought uh, that she would meet in the final. So it was a very exciting weekend. Now, it has been one year since the so-called Freedom Convoy rolled into Ottawa and shut down the city's core for almost a month. So over the weekend on Saturday, along with demonstrations in other Canadian cities, hundreds of anti-government protesters returned to the capital, returned to Ottawa. Although, as Global's Turia Isri reports, there were some noticeable differences from that time one year ago. The Freedom Convoy returned to Ottawa, but this time demonstrators were forced to walk to Parliament Hill. Wellington Street remains closed to traffic, and that led to a smaller, more subdued protest. I live here in Ottawa, and I actually miss the sound of the horns. Those blaring horns have been replaced by music. Protesters gathered for what they dubbed a dance party under a heavy police presence. This is anniversary, a celebration of something we've, we've achieved. Public health restrictions may be gone, but the anger against Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is not. I'd like to see a change of government, but that's not going to happen today or tomorrow, and I understand that. I'd just like to see uh, less division within our country. We, are as po- we, we laugh at the United States. We're no different right now. Been on our case since hey! Those divisions were on display. Hey, hey, come here. Come here. A counter-protester hey, clashed with a member of the Freedom Convoy. A big bunch of whiny babies um, who threw a mega tantrum last year in our city. The crowd gathered on Parliament Hill at the same time the Liberal caucus was meeting behind us in West Block. Some of the protesters here say they would still like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to meet with them and hear their concerns. Trudeau is acknowledging the frustration. I think responsible leadership is uh, acknowledging the, the concerns and anger that people are feeling and look to solve for it, look to provide solutions, look to reassure people, not to amplify that anger. The Conservatives are also holding their caucus retreat. I think we need to actually uh, look into all aspects of the pandemic and how it was handled. Things are being looked at, including the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. The findings are due next month while some of the main protest leaders are facing charges. Political experts predict the current climate of polarization is here to stay. The fire was already going, 
and the pandemic was an accelerant along those lines. So, uh, so the discourse, I think, has been changing for quite a while. And that discourse may be a preview of what to expect during the next session of Parliament. Taria Isri, Global News, Ottawa. Always great to see, honestly, sincerely, always great to see people be able to express their feelings, their concerns, their objections to what's going on in society. But I'm guessing they were all gone by last night. And that's sort of the point here, in my mind, compared to last year, where they overstayed their welcome, except for that one woman who seems to have missed uh, the sounds, the soothing sounds of those horns, Lorraine. Soothing is an interesting term. You know, it's hard. Mostly when I was watching this video unfold over the weekend, Brett, I couldn't believe a year had gone by. It feel, and, and in both ways, I was amazed that so much time had passed. And also, it's sort of some of those things feel like they were just a few days ago. So it's like, you know, it, it, it feels like so much time has passed and not enough time. I don't know. It's done. We're moving on. Curling legend Jennifer Jones is on her way to an incredible 17th Scotty's Tournament of Hearts to compete for a national curling title. So Team Jones will head to Kamloops in search of that seventh Canadian championship. And this is all because before a jam-packed crowd of the East St. Paul Arena yesterday, Jones, third Carly Burgess, second Mackenzie Zacharias, and lead Emily Zacharias, they punched their ticket to nationals with a 10-5 win over Abby Ackland's East St. Paul foursome. Yeah, we had the opportunity to speak with Jennifer just following the awards presentation. I had the honor of emceeing the closing ceremony yesterday, and I had to apologize to Jennifer before our chat because I had no idea that she was going to address the crowd at the end of the event. Oh. <laughs> I, I felt like so I bad. I felt so bad. I'm, like, I'm speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't you speak, Jennifer? Describe the feeling of this one. I know it's it's old hat, but it is ever, does it ever feel that way? It's not. No, for sure it doesn't. It's um, one of my favorite events to play in over my career, just to play at home and always in front of a great crowd and. You know, you never know when it's going to be your last one. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So to come out and just play with this new team and to see them really play their best game in the final was really fun to watch. Talk about that, playing with this younger team and to see them. I mean, they obviously have their own credentials coming in, but to to, to meld your experience with with what they've been doing over the last several years, pretty special. It's so special, and they're just great people. I I mean, it's hard not to cheer for them when they're just, I just want them to do their very best because they're just such great human beings. And um, to be a part of it, the energy they have, their work ethic, and hopefully I can teach them a few things along the way. I'm an older dad, and my kids keep me young. Are these youngsters keep helping keep you feeling a little younger? I like to feel like I've, I don't feel my age. I never have. So, I mean, it's not hurting, though. I definitely, it's not hurting to be around them. They're keep, they keep me up to date on everything. Possibility of four teams in uh, Kamloops from, from Manitoba, also special. You don't want to overuse that word, but this province and what it does and its ability to produce champion curlers is, is something else. Yeah, for sure it is. And champions breed champions. When you're playing against the very best day in and day out, you're going to get better. And you can, you know, the depth of talent in Manitoba is outstanding. And it's just so fun to to be a part of that curling success over the last number of years. And I know it's got a very bright future. Last one for you here. Ryanie mentioned the word, you used the word transformation. You mentioned this is sort of your old stomping grounds. What they did to this hockey arena absolutely amazing it's so beautiful and bright usually we come to these arenas and they're kind of dark and um they they made it feel like it was a a championship event and it was just amazing to come out here and and it was 
full like every draw so the crowd the crowd came out the volunteers came out the ice was fabulous you couldn't really ask for anything more jennifer thank you congratulations best of luck in kamloops thanks so much so the Scotties Tournament of Hearts is coming up pretty quickly here. National Championships get underway February 17th in Kamloops, B.C. Manitoba's Kerry Anderson will represent Canada as defending champion. And it would appear as though Manitoba's Caitlin Laws and the Ackland Rink, which is skipped by Megan Walter, will also be in Kamloops as two of the three wildcard teams. So four Manitoba teams at the Scotties. The prowess and dominance continues to grow Loren and the future of the game is in really good hands with some extremely talented younger teams on the scene as well and the shakeup that's happened over the past year with the different teams changing skips the the jones combination of her, her moving over with uh zacharias girls and, and other i just think it makes it uh it re invigorizes i'm looking for the right word to say it makes you kind of dial back into the game again because it's not the same old you know and it and there were so many years it's great to win but it was the same teams winning or the same teams getting to the top and now you still have her at the top but under a different combination and i think that makes it fun and as she says champions breed champions and when you're around higher performing athletes you try to step up to that level so i think that's really cool and it looked like a fun event this weekend good crowds oh incredible crowds right from the get-go right from wednesday morning the first draw 8 30 wednesday morning the crowds were excellent and then jam-packed over the weekend. And the live stream, uh, these uh, competitions weren't uh, televised this year for the first time in a long time. Sportsnet was typically doing the semifinal and the final, and uh, they pulled out right across Western Canada, as I understand, uh, just a few weeks before the Scotties. But the live stream numbers were unbelievable. I was speaking with Craig Baker of Curl Manitoba yesterday, and at one point on uh, Saturday, they had 36,000 people streaming the live stream Whoa. on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so uh, curling is a big deal in, the, in these parts. going to tell you how you can win some stuff and this had to do with something that happened yesterday greg that your wife thought she had uh, won uh yeah so we're at the final yesterday for the scotties and the 50 50 jackpot was about 2500 bucks so the winner got just over 1200 dollars. and they announced the ticket and i'm looking around the arena and nobody's claiming it and so i kind of put my nose back into my notes as i'm getting ready to uh get going with the closing ceremonies and then I hear commotion coming from the area where my wife is sitting with a bunch of her co-workers jumping up and down yeah she won the 50-50 so I go out to do my emceeing duties with a little extra spring in my step come back go upstairs gather with everybody and she comes to me oh by the way we were one number off uh, <laughs> we didn't win the 50-50 I had that $1,224 spent already <laughs> <laughs> so uh no 50-50. We uh ripped the jaw the, we 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 ripped defeat from the jaws of victory. So, here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868 a time that you thought you had good news only to have it snatched away. Some maybe a time that you almost won or a time you thought you had something in the bag only to blow it. 204-780-6868 and up for grabs, we have a pair of tickets to Prairie Strides Annual Flea Market at Assiniboia Downs that runs this weekend. That should be fun. 
Cameron Portress. Why don't we start with you, sir? Uh, well, we're going to stick with curling here. I remember one of my worst uh, personal defeats. Um, we were curling out in, uh, I think it was Garvin, and uh, it was my brother, my buddy Luke, and his brother Clayton, and we were up. We, and we, we sucked. Like, we were struggling to even win a game, and we were up 8-5, eight, eight, I think it was, heading into the final end, and we're like, okay, we're going to finally pick up a win here. Um, well, we absolutely blew it. They stole four. We had hammer. They stole four on us in the final end. Oh, and ouch. yeah, it, it was bad. And um, the the skips mom, the other team also sucked just as bad as we did. And <laughs> his mom was watching, and she was cheering the entire time. She's going woo, woo, arms in the air and stuff like that. She even like apologized afterwards to us. So, anyways, it was like usually you'd go up and you'd you'd, you'd have some to eat and you have a drink afterwards. Well, this was a loss where we just. Like we scattered afterwards, like we're going home. I'm going home. Like I can't, I can't do this. And so my brother and I, we both parked right next to each other. And I got into my car. See you later. He looked at, got in his car. See you later. And he closed the door. And my brother was a skip of the team. And then I, I heard him go, Aah! like he was, he absolutely like was losing it in the car, like, Aah! and um, screaming obscenities and all that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was that, that sucked. That was the probably that, like that, that took days for me to recover from. Like I was miserable. That was brutal. The agony of defeat. It sucks. Jeff, Losing sucks. Jeff Braun, what about you? Oh, Braun's on. Oh, is he, he's too busy. Okay. Right. Oh yeah. I can see into the booth. He's not there. Well, let's go to the other Jeff then. Jeffrey Forte and Master Control. Me? I'm just a loser. I never won anything, especially while I was just at a social this past Saturday, and uh, of course, didn't win anything there, but uh, a few years ago, I was at another social, and just like your wife, Greg, I was like two numbers off of my oh. ticket. Like I thought I won this awesome prize, but nope, nothing, and just, that's just how my life goes. I think the most I've ever won was 20 bucks uh, from the Lotto Max lottery. Yeah. What was the prize that you thought you won? Do you remember? Oh, no, I can't. Because uh, I put in tickets for everything. But, you know, just that feeling of like, oh, yes, I'm winning something. And just have that taken away. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, when I was at a social once and my buddy's uh, friend, she won a trip to Las Vegas. I'm like, wow, they got some good prizes at this, at this thing. And then I won a prize. Well, it turned out I won a door prize, which was a size small Salmon-colored ladies' golf That's shirt. Right. Outstanding. That's one heck of a door prize. What did you do with that in the end? I remember you it telling this. good on you, that shirt. <laughs> I probably put it in a bag of clothes that I donated to Silo yeah. Mission or something. I don't know. I was thinking of your twin. Like, happy birthday. She's like, thanks. This is clearly a door prize that you're just passing along to me. Appreciate it. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a bad shirt, but, you know, size small, ladies, salmon, not not quite my thing. Trip to Vegas, yeah. golf shirt. Mm. Loren, what about you? I'm going to go the opposite if you don't mind because I'm, I don't win anything, but I've made poor choices where I thought we lost. And I'm going to reference a game I think I've talked about before with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, summer of 2017. We were down, I think it was 40-28, like down by almost two full scores. And we left because there's a minute, like less than two minutes left in the game. And so July we left 27th the game. against Montreal. Yes, it was against Montreal. And we left and we're driving home. And all of a sudden we hear like, you know, as you get in the, you're walking into the parking lot and you hear the cannon go off. You're like, uh, did we just get a touchdown? And then you get in the car and you're like, what is happening here? And Bob Irving, without, in the kindest way, he didn't say it like this, but what it felt like was, if you are in your car right now, you are an idiot for missing the best comeback in Blue Bombers history. I don't think he used the word idiot, but the whole way home, our jaws were hanging open because it was the opposite. We thought we had lost. 
And yeah. it turned out to be the greatest, one of the greatest comebacks. You ask anybody a uh, top 10 list, that is on their yeah, list. Yeah, I, I, of turned the off, comebacks. I turned off the Milt Stiegel touchdown in the final play against, the, uh, against Edmonton a, a number of years ago. I turned that game off and I missed that and my uncle let me have it the next day. So I made I, I don't turn games off after that. I That was my big error and I watched all the way to the end of that Montreal one and I was buzzing for hours. You can boo your team, but don't give up on your team if that makes any sense. I never turn it off. 100% with you. Booing is not giving up. The Jets deserve to be booed the last two games. They did. Yes, they did. And I know. I know, Loran. You're. Like, I'm sorry, we're off topic. <laughs> and you know what? Something like this actually happened over the weekend in golf. There's a golfer named Tyrell Hatton, and he was golfing in Dubai. And he says it's the only 50 foot putt I wish I'd never made because he made an eagle that, mm-hmm. and that helped him make the cut. But his caddy had already changed their flights to the oh, tune no. of like four thousand dollars. <laughs> So they spent all this money to change their flights, and then he made the cut that he didn't, that he figured there's no way I'm going to make this thing. Like they hit a 50 foot putt for an eagle on the last hole of the round. So so he's in the final round today. Don't they get cut checks, like no matter what, anyway? Like I'm thinking of Happy Gilmore. Why did he have all those checks? Like even if you finish 30th, don't you get some money? Yeah, you got to make the cut. To be in yeah. the money. No, I know. He made the cut. That's what I'm yeah. saying. He's, he's going to get a giant check. He'll cover well, off Well, I don't know if it'll be giant. Depends where I he finishes. I meant like physically. Like a Happy Gilmore <laughs> yeah, physically no, giant no. check to put yes. in the back of his head. I don't know how much he'll win. Like if he was the last player, you know, to make the check, who knows? The cut? I don't know how much money he's going to make. So a lot of people kick off the new year, of course, with some sort of resolution, work out more, eat better. Another And a big one is drink less, Loren. Yeah, and so, of course, uh, January, dry January, and the concept of dry January has become really popular over the past couple of years. But uh, also over the past couple of years, the Canadian Cancer Society decided to tap February is the month that would challenge Canadians to go alcohol-free. And it's not just a month to detox, but it hopes it can bring awareness to the links between alcohol and cancer. So with February just a couple days away, we thought we'd bring on Susan Flynn, Acting Director of Cancer Prevention with the Canadian Cancer Society. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Lauren. So why why February? Well, February seems like a good month to uh, abstain from alcohol. Uh, This will be my eighth year doing dry Feb, and um, I'm just not ready in January. But February, it's a shorter month. Um, It gives me January to get ready and um, just, you know, uh, be more organized and, and sort of mentally ready to not drink alcohol for the month. Susan, I think a lot of us are aware of of the risks with regarding to alcohol and and uh, the 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 difficulties it may pose for our health. Uh, certainly, socio social sociological issues uh, issues within our relationships and addiction. But I'm not certain that uh, most Canadians realize the connection between alcohol consumption and cancer. That's correct. In fact, over 40% of Canadians are not aware that alcohol consumption can increase cancer risk. And there's new um, evidence emerging every day that um, links drinking any type of alcohol with an increased risk of at least nine different types of cancer. What kinds of cancer? Or a couple of examples, maybe. Uh, Yeah, so head and neck, breast, colorectal, liver, stomach, and pancreatic cancers. 
Okay. So we had these new drinking guidelines released this month, encouraging Canadians to, to have no more than two drinks a week. And we had conversations about that on this show. And many people re- reacted with, it's just not realistic. So what do you say to that reaction? I think the important thing here uh, is that Canadians are aware of the risk between cancer and alcohol consumption. And then they can make choices that are right for them. Um, and so the recommendations are if you do choose to drink alcohol to, to keep the cancer and to keep your cancer risk as low as possible, have no more than two standard drinks a week. Um, the, the fact is that the more alcohol we drink, the more it impacts uh, our cancer risk. So dry February is about, you know, maybe what's healthier for us if we want to join, but it's also about raising funds for the Canadian Cancer Society. So how does that work? Do I sign up and, and tell my friends I'm doing it or what's the concept here? Yes, it's it's uh, made really simple when you visit dryfeb.ca. So that's the website that will guide you through signing up, um, reaching out to friends and family to either encourage them to join you uh, because it's more fun when you're not doing it alone, um, or to sponsor you to help raise funds for the important work of the Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, drivefab.ca uh, will provide you with all the information you need, help you to reach out on your socials to help promote the fact that you're doing DriveFab and to let people know why you've chosen to do it, how you're doing. You can earn badges along the way. There's different incentives. So drivefab.ca really is your one-stop shop to signing up and keeping you going throughout the month. The uh, release of that the, the study and these new recommendations, Susan, seems to have people, even if they're unhappy with it, and maybe you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but it is a good excuse and it seems to be a reason that people are having extra conversations over the last several weeks about alcohol and that relationship with alcohol. I, I don't know if we can have too many discussions about that. Well, that, that's the thing. This, the Canada's guidance on alcohol and health that was released just uh, earlier this month with these recommendations has sparked conversations. It's gotten people talking, um, having different opinions about the, um, the number of drinks a week that are recommended and, uh, you know, giving people pause for thought and discussion. But whether people change their behavior or not, they have more information with which to make that decision. Susan Flynn is Acting Director of Cancer Prevention with the Canadian Cancer Society, talking dry February. Thank you very much for joining us, Susan. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. You know what? On a cold day like today, where it's minus 40, minus 43, minus 45, with the wind in some parts of southern Manitoba, you can appreciate why we might see some bus cancellations, Loren. Yeah, I think it's safe to say everyone has a threshold where they might say, you know what? No, no, too old to do A, B, or C. And and that's the case this morning for our next guest, who on almost any other day of the year would likely be getting ready at this hour to hop on her bike and make her way to work. Her name is Patty Boga, and this is the way she's increasingly been getting to work, commuting with her bike. Good morning, Patty. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm curious. Like the school divisions, do you have a hard line in the sand where you check the, you know, the rules and you say, yeah, no, not today. <laughs> yeah, I think today would be a really hard line in the sand, to be honest. So um, you've got time, I, Go ahead. No, go ahead. Most of the time, tell, tell us what you would normally do and then what happened when you woke up this morning. 
Yeah, so I've been obsessively checking the weather. You know, the night before, I check what hourly, what the weather is going to be like and see what it's like at 7 a.m., which is when I hop on my bike. But, uh, you know, if it's minus 15 to minus 20, I'll just bundle up more and I have an e-bike. So the wind really doesn't bother me that much. But today was one of those that I just went, there is no way that I'm going to do this. Well, it's a sound decision, Patty. It's Greg Mackling here. And what's your, uh, good to talk to you again. What's your typical route to work? How long does it take and how much of it is on active transportation versus riding on the street with, with, with cars and buses and and trucks and such? Uh, So it's half and half. I usually, um, on my regular bike, it would take me about an hour to get to work. So half of it would be on um, a protected bike lane through the Yellow Ribbon Greenway Trail, which is amazing. Um, And then the other half is all of St. Matthew's. So it's really a straight line from where I live to the University of Winnipeg. Um, But... uh, you know, with, with, having said that, I contend with uh, the city plowing that path, too. So not only on really cold days, but on days when we've had either extreme winds that blow the snow onto the path or days where it has just snowed and the city hasn't gotten around to clearing the path yet. And, Patty, you just, did you say you ride an e-bike? Yeah, so right now I got an e-bike about, uh, I've been doing it for two weeks and it's really shortened my ride. So now I'm down to, you know, 40 minutes if everything is clear or 35, depending. I don't go very fast because I'm still getting used to it. And uh, what I like about it is just it reduces the amount, that, like how hard I'm working or whether I worry too much about the wind. And I don't get as sweaty when I get to work. (laughs) And for those who are, I guess, does it come with a little motor in it or... So it's assisted. So the more I pedal, the faster it goes, but I still need to pedal. It does come with a motor. Yeah. Okay. So how often would you say, I have two quick questions for you here, Patty. How often would you say you're on your bike? Today's an exception, but is it X number of days a week, you know, 70% of the year? How often? So this is my first winter uh, commuting uh, on my bike. And I'm actually from Brazil, so this is a huge stretch because I'm used to (laughs) temperatures that are, you know, 60 um, 60 degrees difference from, from what I have right now or 80 at days. Um, so I would say right now I'm trying to do as many days as possible. So I don't try to do 70%. I try to do a hundred percent and I wake up every day thinking I'm going on my bike. And then I decide when I look outside or, you know, find out the state of the trails, then that's when I make a decision. But I would say for sure, 80%, um, obviously I go, um, in the summer, in the spring, whether it rains or not, it doesn't matter. I get on my bike. Especially so, now with my e-bike, the you know things that used to be an issue, like how strong the wind is, isn't anymore. Why? I'm curious why you decided this winter you wanted to become someone who would try as much as possible to bike to work. Especially someone from Brazil. I just think that's worth right. repeating again. Um, so there's a few reasons. One, my exercise is built in. I like being active. I don't have to worry whether I have time for the gym or not. It's really an active way of getting somewhere. Um, I grew up always getting on my bike. So, you know, to me, it's a a natural progression. 
this year I really wanted to challenge myself to, you know, try the winter biking. One, the cost of parking downtown is prohibitive. Uh, the cost of gas. Um, and I'm actually thinking of getting rid of one of the vehicles that we have here. We don't need to. And it just sits here in my driveway. Well, and if you're not on uh, two wheels, sometimes you're on eight because you're a big roller skater as well, right, Patty? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about... I haven't roller skated to work yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say roller skating might be a stretch for the amount of distance you have to cover, but uh, probably uh, what makes it impossible is the fact that you don't have those protected bike, bike lanes all the way. And of course, I don't think anyone's like, expecting that you have your, this, this personal path to uh, downtown from wherever you live in the city, but what has your experience been, your commentary? in terms of of protected bike lanes now versus in the path and how's the city doing in terms of accommodating winter cyclists in terms of getting them cleared of snow and ice you know they're doing the best they can it's just that they really can't do much you know they don't seem to put it as big a priority as they do for cars right so if cars need clearing that's what gets the priority. The bike lanes kind of fall to the wayside. And we don't have a lot. Like the the, the bike lane on St. Matthews is a is a strip of paint, right? So it's not really protecting me. We really do need more protected bike lanes all over the city. That would be a huge help. Um, education also, you know, educating drivers that we are not out there just for fun. We really need to get somewhere just like they do. Um, so, you know, you do get a lot of angry drivers, especially when the weather gets nasty, they are not too happy to have to share the road. Um, so more bike lanes for sure. Clearing of the bike lanes right away. There's countries where they clear the bike lanes before they clear, clear the roads. Our guest is Patty Boga. We're talking about active transportation today, using active transportation to commute to work. And you just sort of referenced there, but, you know, the city pledged to spend hundreds of millions of dollars over the next couple of days to improve our active transportation network. So are you seeing any of that investment at all? Yeah, I I have to say it's a lot better than it used to be 10 years ago. It seems to be a little bit slower than we would like. But, you know, we, we have to hope that it will be a thing that will have more focus in the future for sure before we let you go patty i'm curious you know you you pledged this year to try to bike every single day in winter there's been the odd exception today is going to be one of them because it's an extreme cold warning going on out there but i'm curious do you see more bikers out there uh throughout the winter then you know i know you weren't doing it as much in years past because this is a new pledge for you but do you i feel like every time i see someone on a bike on a cold day i think what what is going on but i'm curious if you see more of them now Yeah, I do. And on my path, I see many, many people uh, that I go either in the same direction or going the the opposite way. I see a lot more people on Portage Avenue, even sometimes when we're driving or taking the bus. I just see a lot more people on their bikes. And I think that if we had more infrastructure, more people would use it as well, because it is economic. It is exercise. And, you know, if you can go for a walk, you can go for a for a bike ride as long as you have the infrastructure the cold is not the thing that's stopping us it's really the safety and the ease of use 
Patty Boga joining us live on 680 CJOB, talking about her experience going to work on her bike. Patty, thank you very much for kicking off this conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And she mentioned uh, she has that e-bike. The other day I'm walking down Broadway towards Osborne, and this guy goes zipping past me on an electric unicycle. Come on. Yeah. He, he was clipping along like I, I, I kind of like to the point where he maybe shouldn't have been on the sidewalk because oh, he was doing not. at least 30K, maybe more. And it, it looks like these things can achieve speeds of like 60 miles per hour. Well, oh, uh, this doesn't seem like there's got to be some rules around that. No, that feels different to me than a bike. Well, yeah, you're not even supposed to be riding a pedal bike if you're an adult on, on, the, on sidewalk. the sidewalk. And so then you put the e-bikes, that's a whole other situation altogether. But a unicycle it, e-bike. Yeah, I didn't even know those existed. In Carlsbad, California, where I spend some time, they have actually declared an e-bike emergency. <laughs> this is this is literal. Uh, this is something that is a huge problem in that community. So many people are riding these e-bikes, and they're not obeying the rules and the uh, of the road to a point where where people are getting killed on these things. Oh no! And so it's it's going to come to a head here. So I'm interested to see if the e-bike conversation and these being integrated into the population and uh, the increased usage in them is going to impact the amount of dedicated bike uh, paths that that cities start to, to build because as you mentioned they can go very quick we're asking you to tell us about a time where you thought you won something but maybe you didn't or uh, thought the time you thought you maybe had something almost in the bag and then you blew it. And one listener uh, saying, this is Jonathan, says, one time I bought a scratch and win crossword ticket. I thought I had won $500. Turned out to be a losing ticket. I had scratched off the R's, but I should have scratched the P's. It wasn't too much after that when I got my eyes checked and found I needed glasses for the first time in my life. So I guess that's kind of a win. You solved a problem. Yeah. In the end, right? I guess yeah, that's a glass, glass half full way of looking at it. I like your positivity, Brett. Hey, I remember I the first time I got glasses, I was, I dreaded it. You know, it was grade seven, like, oh, I'm going to be a nerd, man, I want glasses, blah. But as soon as I put them on, it, life was so much better. I remember the first time I put my glasses on about 20 years ago and I could see the sign across the street from the optometrist shop. I'm like... Oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked. I tried to get glasses in grade four. I tried to convince my parents that I needed glasses in grade four, but I went to the you know the eye doctor and everything was a-okay, but that was because my buddy Todd Cuttington wore glasses, so I wanted to wear glasses like Todd. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I can't figure it out right now. Last time I went to the eye doctor, just within the last two years, it was 2020 vision, but I know there are things I'm not reading the same way I would have a few years ago. And, and at night, it feels so very different. And so I should just bite the bullet and say, well, give me something. Because it doesn't seem right, even if they're telling you it's right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like they're like, you're fine. You have a slight stigmatism. You could get, I'll give you a prescription if you want. But, you know, like, you're not, you're really still on the good to go spectrum. But I definitely will be at work and see something and think like, five years ago, I would have been able to read that from here. And now I can't. It's cold. Uh, I was very thankful over the weekend that to not have to drive anywhere, Loren, because even with my car's outside just for a couple of hours, it's starting to get to that point, that age where <laughs> it's a crapshoot every time I turn the key in this cold. 
my body's starting to get that age where it's crapshoot because you know I had a son over one of my kids was over at his friend's house yesterday and I said okay I'm coming to get him in x minutes and they said no rush and I was like no no like I'm already in the car I'm not getting out and getting back into this car again tonight it's cold once I've made decisions to go places right in this weather you commit to it or you decide you're not going out at all because it's dangerously cold out there and so CAA you just heard Jeff Brown talking about it in the news they normally see 350 calls a day on average and on the weekend they hit more than 600 uh, because it was so cold outside and most of those were for boosting battery calls and so Alicia Dacey of CAA uh, gave some important reminders about what to remember when it comes to days like this. It's so cold out there. Um, if you have an older battery, you might want to consider getting a battery minder just to make sure that your battery will absolutely start. And of course, always, always, always have your emergency car kit um, in the backseat of your car. And yeah, throwing in an extra pair of mitts, an extra toque, an extra pair of gloves is never going to hurt. Um, if you are plugging in your vehicle, just a reminder that if you do have a garage or your vehicle is in a shed, you don't necessarily need to plug it in. That garage will provide you with enough warmth and uh, uh, shelter from the elements to make sure that your vehicle does start. As you can see, uh, some of the pictures you had up there showed that there was a garage fire due to a plugged in vehicle within a garage uh, last week. So um, it's just one more, um, one more safety step, you know, Garages are pretty good at keeping your vehicle warm. You don't need to plug in if you have a garage. Of course, uh, we had that situation that uh, 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 Alicia pointed out with uh, fire in the garage, but also the idea of the, the new battery. I swapped out the, the batteries on both our vehicles mm-hmm. just last month, and we had uh, the vehicle that sits outside plugged in and, and started no problem whatsoever this morning, and just what a huge difference that makes. And our friends at Superlube would also remind us by keeping your oil changed and keeping on top of that and uh, having the, the proper oil in the wintertime will, will help your car start as well without any issues. Do you guys have a threshold for how long you like to let the car warm up? Like, I know I like to be warm when I'm in my car, but it used to be years ago that you had to let your car warm up, if I'm understanding the mechanics properly, for the engine to, for lack of a better term, be more lubricated, for it to be good to go. And now with the new cars, in theory, and maybe there's a mechanic out there that could correct me, I think there was a school of thought that you had to let it warm up, you know, for five minutes, not just so that the cabin of the car was warm but the engine was ready to go and now that's not the case so do you guys just get in and go or do you always warm it up um i if i can warm it up i will but otherwise i'll just let it go 30 to 45 seconds and then i'll go and then i'll just kind of suffer because i i just wait the car will start and then eventually within that that time frame i can hear the engine sort of just calm down a little bit like mm-hmm. it's it's reached its you know it's like it's almost like a signal to say okay i'm ready because I don't like to just turn the key and immediately hit the gas. That's not good for your car. Yeah, I watch the temperature gauge, and then uh, that way I know if I'm turning on my heat, my defrost, it's blowing warm air as opposed to cold, and it's not going to make the situation worse. So uh, the first, uh, first priority is getting uh, the line of vision clear and scraping the windows, clearing them off if you have to. And then, yeah, it's nice to know that when you fire on that heat, it's going to actually be heat. So... I think you're right, Loren, that that common thought was always that you had to let it warm up for half an hour before you could go anywhere, but that's clearly not the case anymore. In the meantime, we got to switch gears and talk some hockey because Winnipeg Jets look to end their three-game skid tonight, welcoming the St. Louis Blues to Canada Life Centre, co-host of Jets at Noon, Cameron Poitras has your keys to the game. Number one, play 60 minutes. 
The Jets need to do this for themselves above everyone else. It's not that they have to prove it to themselves that they can play 60 minutes. They clearly can. It's that for every reason, it's fallen out of their brains over the last little bit. It's caused a lot of frustration for their head coach, Rick Bonus, who perhaps thought that the bad habits of last season were behind them. Clearly, that isn't the case. And this is going to be an ongoing fight to get this team consistently engaged. I'm not ignorant to this team's schedule that's seen them play on average a game every two days over these past two months. But those tired legs and minds need to be focused on playing smarter and helping themselves, not just shooting themselves in the foot. Number two, compete. All the fans want to do is see effort and hard playing. Wins, of course, is what this is all about. But hard-fought losses are much easier to stomach than games where it looks like the players' minds are elsewhere. This is a knowledgeable fan base, and they know what a missed assignment and a lazy stick check looks like. They do. The compete level hasn't been there. Bonus says there needs to be a level of sacrifice in this league from the difference makers on the team, and that has just been invisible the last little bit. They need to get up and get at it. Number three, skate. A lot of the Jets' issues have been their slow motion. To win and score and stop goals against in this league, you have to be moving. If you're standing still, waiting for the play to come to you, using a lazy extended stick check, the game's already passed you by. The Jets have a lot of time to rest up and relax and heal those bruises and cut down those bumps. There's no reason to leave anything in the tank because you're not going to play again until February 11th. The Jets can do that. They'll stop the bleeding with a win tonight against the Blues. There's a price to pay to win in this league, and you have to work, and you have to compete, and you have to do it every night. And as the season progresses, it gets harder. And right now, it seems to, you're, you're seeing what we're seeing. As soon as there's a little adversity, this group, we haven't handled it. We handled it well early in the year. We're not handling it well right now. The difference makers, you can't even find them out there. So until we, we make that commitment again to play as a team, this is what you get. Winnipeg Jets head coach Rick Bonus. Yeah, normally we talk sports Mondays just after 8.30, but we had the health series presented by Body Measure, so we're going to have a quick sports chat here because the Boo Birds were out Saturday night at Canada Life Centre as the Jets followed Thursday's less-than-impressive effort versus Buffalo with an even less inspired performance Saturday in a 4-0 loss to Philadelphia. Up by Noah Gates. They're fighting for it. Grabbed again by Sealer and backhanded all the way down the ice. A lot of that is Jets on the perimeter on the power play, and Philadelphia didn't have to do a whole lot because everything was the outside. Jets fans not happy with their team's performance, and the fans let them know it. Yeah, Murad Atash of the Athletic asked head coach Rick Bonus about the unusual turn of events. For one of the first times that I can remember, there were boos, especially during that power play. I'm surprised there wasn't more boos thoughts for the fans and in, in terms of like assuring them I guess, I mean, well, listen we're, we're a good team we're still fighting for first place right we're now we're, we've got to turn this around clearly we've got to get that game on monday night we get the game on monday night we'll be okay but regardless of the outcome of that game on monday night man we need a 60 minute effort Rick Bonus used to play for this team once upon a time, and he knows that Winnipeg sports team fans want an effort. Here's the coach again. So all the fans want to see is a 60-minute effort. The wins and losses will take care of itself. If you take care of the effort and you take care of the process, that'll take care of itself. Right now, the process isn't good enough and the effort's not good enough, and that's all our fans want to see, so they're justified to boo us. Yeah, so there are some fans who don't like it when others boo the home team. I get it. I'm not much of a booer. But for a team near the top of the standings, they are still a team who are not selling out every home game. Many fans are in a prove-it-to-me 
frame of mind and games like Thursday and Saturday aren't going to help convince people to spend their hard-earned money and make the trip to the rink. The gentleman sitting behind me Saturday, Loren, had driven in from Kenora for the game and has tickets to tonight's game. Think about that investment of time, money, energy. I felt the boos were absolutely justified Saturday. I, like I said, didn't participate, but I was so impressed with their effort Saturday night. I'd sort of already checked out. So uh, I'll ask you, McNabb, how do you feel about how the Jets are playing and how do you feel about the booze? I get that it's not like if you have a bad meal at a restaurant, you wouldn't boo the server, but that's because you could go up to the server and explain why you were not impressed with the meal and you can't do that. You don't get to walk up to the Jets, but I don't get it. The whole point is to energize your team. The, the impact of that is just going to take away from how they play. They're not sitting there hearing that and thinking, oh, they don't like us, we should work harder. Studies show when you have high energy, it can translate into high energy performance and booing doesn't get you there so now you're just voicing your displeasure and maybe hurting your team more that's my thoughts we're asking you about a time that you thought you had won or you almost won only to have it taken away like jackie greg's wife thought she won the 50 50 yesterday at the curling but uh, was off by one or two digits, so it did not win $1,200 that Mackling had already mentally spent. Uh, but uh, Don, for example, saying my ex-wife used to play the same 649 numbers for every draw. Finally, her numbers came up, but she had forgotten to get the ticket, and there was no winner that week. No! She, oh, no! She cried for a month, and uh, Don was somehow able to take the, the attitude. I was more of a, well, we can't lose what we didn't have, but... My gosh, to to have your numbers come up and not have a ticket, that would be tough. That would be tough. That's painful just to hear about, just to hear about that. And that there was no winner. Be one thing if actually somebody, it'd be better if someone else had won because they weirdly had the same numbers as you, right? You'd be like, well, at least, you know what? We would have had split that or something. But to know that you were the one. That's uh, that's tough. So, Don, thanks for sharing that. So we're going to pick a winner in our next segment. But right now, I just wanted to share an experience yesterday that reminded me, and we've talked about social media before and particularly Twitter, uh, but Twitter just is a cesspool. And but the, the way that I feel about Twitter, this goes like this predates Elon Musk's involvement. It's, this isn't a, an Elon Musk thing. But yesterday, I was watching a football game, and this is uh, not from yesterday. This is just stock audio uh, from Kansas City of their fans doing the tomahawk chop and um, I don't watch a ton of sports so I was I didn't realize this was still a thing and that was the first thing I thought like really that the tomahawk chop they're still doing this so I went on Twitter and this is only the second time I think I've tweeted anything outside of like retweeting our question of the day uh, where I actually had my own thought that I wanted, and I was curious. I just, all I did was ask the question, how is the tomahawk chop still a thing in sports? So here are some of the responses I got. You go there and stop them from doing it. <laughs> okay. Not what you're saying. Um, oh, God, better change the team's name, too, while you're at it. Okay. Uh, we had somebody say, I'm sorry this happened to you. Thoughts and prayers. I guess suggesting that, you know, there's the whole snowflake thing or whatever. Oh, yeah. You couldn't take it, Brett. No, I couldn't take it. Uh, another guy just simply saying, shut up, journalist. 
And I'm like, I, so that was the one where I actually responded because I, I just left most of them blank. But this, I said to him, you can always count on Twitter for friendly discussion. And he followed up saying, your profession is a plague on America. So I said, I'm in Canada. Commenting on an American game, even from Canada, you are a plague on oh, America. Boy. And like 90% of the responses I got were, all, were not just disagreeing, but outright animosity and hatred just for asking a question. Like I could sort of potentially understand the pushback if I were to go on and say these fans are idiots and what backwoods are they from? But no, look, the Kansas City fans are some of the, they're some of the most raucous in all of pro sports. Arrowhead Stadium is, looks like an awesome place. Anybody I know who's been to a Kansas City game says it was a terrific experience. But I, was, I just, I, I, I thought the chop was weird 30 years ago. So to imagine that we're still doing it, I just, I don't get it. But I don't know that what I don't get more, the fact that the chop still exists or the fact that I can't even pose a question on Twitter without not just getting pushback, but outright anger and, and hatred, Loren. Well, particularly in this day and age, we have seen some teams change their names because groups have come out and said, like, this is overtly racist. And I know, I remember reading an article a few years ago in Sports Illustrated where uh, groups came out, indigenous groups, that for the most part were saying, look, we don't, we don't like this or appreciate it. And this is in connection, I think, with the Atlanta Braves. But they'd come out and said, we'd like this to stop. And on the flip side, the organization said, no, we've consulted and, and everybody's all good with this. So it's at least worth having the conversation. But that's, there's the, there's the issue you raised and looking for like healthy discourse. And then there's the idea, is that really where you go for healthy discourse anyway, anymore? Like I, I, beyond the weather, you know, or announcements of, arrests made or cancellations i don't even like to put stuff out on twitter because i just it's not worth my time or the energy that i might then expend saying oh i'm asking this question because of the following like because it used to be a space ah, maybe it was maybe it was never the space i just wanted it to be that space where you'd learn something like maybe someone would come back and give you an honest answer bread of well here's what they went through as an organization and here's how you should understand what they did or did not do to to get to that conclusion or they might have given you a more fuel to back up your question of why it's allowed in the first place. But I don't know if you get that anymore. All you get at the end is just a lot of anger, and then you're angry by the end. Yeah, you can post facts on Twitter. You know this, and you get pushback on them these days. So uh, I, I Even admire... Even if you say it's cold out, someone will say, just suck it up and dress for it. You're like, 100%. It's still cold. Like it's still move. cold out. How many times do we get a text message? Oh, come on, guys. Why are you talking about the weather? Uh, it's winter in Manitoba. Duh, it's cold out. Yeah. You know, it gets cold here. Newsflash. Yeah. You know, so there are people who will push back on that. Even the idea of having about a conversation about something that's quote unquote usual or not unusual. Uh, but having that conversation, people are sensitive to how long you've discussed it, how intimately you've discussed it, the problems associated with the situation. So I'm not surprised in any way, shape, or form, but you're very courageous, Brett McGarry, <laughs> for even attempting to have a discussion about it. Yeah, and uh, you know what? In a way, I'm sort of glad I did it because it was a reminder, and I think an important reminder for me, that Twitter really is kind of a cesspool because I think that's one of the reasons why I, I haven't tweeted more than th this is now the third tweet in two months because like the run you said you don't have the time for it or the energy and it it distracted me for the rest of the evening yes and, I, there right and I was upset 
go say you're tired. Type in I'm tired today and someone's you're like, oh, is it hard getting up just to talk on the radio? Go to sleep. Self-inflicted. Go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> go, What's stop the going big to the, deal? Stop going to the king's head then, McGarry. You'll be so tired. Maybe eat something other than pizza. Yeah. Then oh. you won't be tired. That's- Have a salad once in a while. Yeah. I did fall asleep, by the way, waiting for my pizza to arrive on Friday. It went back to Santa Lucia Pizza St. Mary's. I had to call them and get them to bring it back. Uh, the did phone they... was in my hand. I slept through the call. In your hand. Yep. I was so tired. Uh, it was still good pizza in the end, though. Dan, the Earl of Eli. He says, one morning I was visiting my parents, and of course the radio was on, and mom was listening to the start. We were sitting at the kitchen table drinking our coffee when 9.15 was approaching, and I shushed everyone, saying I entered the contest this morning. I want to hear who wins. So Loren and Greg start reading the runners-up, and then Brett says, today's winner is Dan. So mom's jumping up and down, and I'm high-fiving dad, and then Greg starts to read the story, which turned to instant disappointment. That's not my story, mom. I said... Still a great memory to see mom and dad get excited. But uh, he thought he was, we were reading his story, but we were reading another Dan's story. Sorry, Dan. That's my fault. I, I let you down. Well, no. Can we just do it to him again, though? He's listening. We're about to reveal our winner, Dan. That's <laughs> not really good He knows how it works, though. He knows we always start with the runners up. He's intimately aware, and he'll post on Twitter, oh, so close again on CJ. I'll be runner up one more time. <laughs> that, that is fair, though. I should have uh, added that. That caveat. Runner up. Sorry, Dan. So, yeah, I guess we got you again. But um, our winner is Rum Hut Kevin, Mr. Mackling. Run, Rum Hut Kevin, our good friend, says we and the crew went for our annual trek to the Labor Day game in Purgatory. That's uh, Regina, code for Regina. My wife bought a 50-50, as she always does. When the draw was made, Tracy looked at the ticket twice and then asked me to look at it as well. It matched all the numbers. I think the jackpot was around $70,000. When we went to claim it, we were immediately handed an envelope, which I thought was odd. Inside, to our dismay, was one ticket to the annual Ryder Gala dinner. Turned out there were two draws and we didn't hear the first one. What a kick between the legs. But at least the Bombers won that game for a change. Like To do those draws back to back, you've got a $70,000 50-50 but the first, right. pri- the first one you're giving away is one single ticket. Not even a pair. To your crappy gala dinner at Denny's. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Is that what, no? You're just joking. It's yeah, you know, you know, the easiest way to get me vitriolic is to mention Saskatchewan yes. and or Rough Spewing Riders. Nonsense. Yes, got it. <laughs> so, hey, congratulations, Rum Hut Kevin. You're going to the Prairie Strides Annual Flea Market at Assiniboia Downs. That is going to run uh, this weekend, February 4th and February 5th. And I've been to a market before uh, at the Assiniboia Downs. It's a terrific spot for it. So uh, have fun out there. And maybe you can even... I started my Christmas shopping in the market I was working at last April. I think I bought my first gift of the year. That was for uh, for you, Mackling. It was those uh, cute little Winnipeg Jets and Bomber uh, stuffed snowmen that were made out of socks. Yeah, uh, which were a great addition to our collection of Christmas stuff, by the way. Thank you. Okay. All right. We just heard... The breaking news in Jeff Braun's newscast, uh, Greg, that uh, a Winnipeg Jets icon has passed. 
Bobby Hall passed away at the age of 84, and I know Bobby Hall is a controversial figure for some. Uh, I'd like to put that aside for just a few moments if we can, because without Bobby Hall, my life is very, very different. When he signed with the Winnipeg Jets and the World Hockey Association in 1972, it marked professional hockey's arrival in Winnipeg, and of course, eventually... Bobby Hull and the incredible players that followed him to not only to the Winnipeg Jets, but to other teams across the World Hockey Association, gave competition to the NHL. And the NHL didn't like the WHA very much, so much so they sought a court injunction to keep Bobby Hull off the ice. It cost Bobby Hull an opportunity to play with Team Canada in the Summit Series in 1972. And, of course, the World Avco uh, trophies that the Jets subsequently won, three of them, uh, two of them with his wingers from Sweden, uh, the ever-famous, the hotline, some call it one of the top lines in hockey. It was the best line I ever watched play, Bobby Hull, centered by Ulf Nielsen with Anders Hedberg on the right wing. Were, it was some of the best hockey ever played anywhere on the planet and so Bobby Hull coming to Winnipeg in 1972 opened the door for the Winnipeg Jets joining the National Hockey League in 1979. And so, like I say, I know many people have views on Bobby Hull and the personal side of his life and what he did away from the game of hockey. There'll be lots of time to discuss that. But for me, uh, this is a sad day because the, the day Bobby Hull signed with the Winnipeg Jets uh, changed my life and I met Bobby Hull many times as a, as a youngster and it was a thrill each and every time he always had time to say hello always time for a picture always time for an autograph well we were going to speak uh, we, we had mentioned earlier that we were going to speak with a Winnipeg filmmaker who has a new movie out but in the wake of this news we we're going to reschedule that conversation Rainy Kerwin uh, perhaps can join us tomorrow but in the meantime Loren um, we, uh, we do want to continue discussing this news about Bobby Hall yeah, so we're going to bring on right now uh, former Global News Sports Director Joe Puscucci, who joins us from Toronto. Good morning, Joe. Uh, good morning. Let's just talk about, you know, Greg, I don't know if you caught, we just got you on the line, I know, just moments ago, and Greg was sort of going over what Hall meant to him, but you spent decades covering sports in this city, and there was the rise and sometimes the falls, people might comment on, of Hall's career, but, but when he came to Winnipeg, can you talk about just sort of the legacy as it started when he joined the World Hockey Association and, and the impact he had on the initial Winnipeg Jets? Well, uh, obviously, when uh, Bobby Hull signed with the World Hockey Association, he gave the league credibility, and he also put a lot of money into the pocketbooks of all the rest of the players uh, who signed on with the league. Everybody's salary increased because of Bobby Hull jumping to the World Hockey Association and the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. And, and of course, uh, you know, he, uh, in the interviews that he has he had done, he said that he threw out the million-dollar figure, figuring that they would uh, just go away. Because at that point, he had no real desire to leave the NHO or the Blackhawks. He just wanted to be treated fairly and paid fairly. But... So he threw out the million-dollar figure, uh, figuring that they would say no. But when they said yes, he was a man of his word. And he came to the World Hockey Association and the Winnipeg Jets and, you know, of course, had those uh, great years in here in the WHA. I only got to see Bobby Hall play as a Jet when uh, 
they came to play the Toros in Toronto, and it was always a highlight whenever Winnipeg came to Toronto to watch Bobby Hall and Anders Hedberg and Alf Nilsson as a line. Yeah, it was uh, some of the best hockey ever played. Glenn Sather has been quoted, Joe, I know you know this, that that he emulated, he copied the style of the WHA Jets while he was building his dynasty in the National Hockey League with the Edmonton Oilers. And in fact, I don't know if you know this story, whether it's true or not, but as I understand it, uh, Sather wanted Hull to come in and play in Edmonton to, to tutor uh, one uh, young man by the name of Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I, you know, I hadn't heard that story, but, uh, you know, it probably would have been a good fit for, for, uh, for Wayne and for Bobby because uh, Bobby certainly was uh, a leader on the hockey team. And, you know, just his, uh, when he first met Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen, right? And, you know, he didn't want them to play his way, basically. He wanted them to do what they always did, right? And he would, you know, he would work with them. Right, they didn't have to change the way they played for Bobby Hall. He changed the way maybe he played for them because he liked the way that they played. Yeah, in fact, Bobby Hall sat out at least one game uh, as a protest of violence in hockey because he saw the way some of the teams. You mentioned the Toronto Toros; they eventually became the Birmingham Bulls, and some of the most heated rivalry games in the World Hockey Association between the Winnipeg Jets and and were with the Birmingham Bulls, the Baby Bulls, they called them once upon a time, because really the only chance the Bulls had when they came in here to even even attempt to uh, keep up to the Jets was to was to slow them down and, and typically that was with illegal measures yeah and he wasn't uh you know at that stage in his career he wasn't interested in that he was interested in just playing the game and you know playing hockey you know the right way and he was a tough player and you know in early in his nhl career he had some legendary battles with with john ferguson who of course then with the montreal canadians and maybe they battled once or twice when uh, fergie was general manager of of the uh, the Jets and Bobby Hull was uh, you know came back to play uh, part of that uh, initial NHL season uh, before the uh, the infamous tuxedo night game when he mm. didn't realize the game start was an hour early and and uh, came late to the arena and Tom McVie uh, you know rules were rules and you know told Bobby he couldn't play in that game because he came late. And, of course, Bobby Hall owned part of the Jets at that point in time. He, he, he was one of the he owners. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. obviously, Bobby Hall's impact uh, in this community uh, is is going to be, uh, uh, you know, long felt. And one of our listeners, uh, Joe, uh, saying what, what I feel, that without Bobby Hall, does, does Winnipeg ever even enter the NHL conversation? Ah, that's, you know, probably not. I would, uh, I wasn't around during the, the seventies to watch the jets in Winnipeg. Wish I had, because obviously there, there's some great memories there that I've been able to see and try and preserve through, uh, through videotape. Uh, but you know, you certainly felt his impact when I, growing up as a kid, you know, and Bobby Hull, of course, you know, famous uh, for signing autographs and for, you know, keeping, the rest of the team on the waiting on the bus while he signed every autograph for every fan that waited for him after games or you know pregame at Maple Leaf Gardens. I've seen film of that where he's signing autograph with you know the young kids with the 
or over the glass when the glass was a lot lower back then. So, I mean, he had time for the fans and, you know, and that's what, you know, I think that we'd like to see more of from, you know, from our, uh, you know, hockey players and athletes in general. And he always had time for the fans. Well, Joe Pascucci, we thank you so much for joining us on such short notice on this, uh, but uh, this is uh, yeah. this is an important one to discuss, so we appreciate the instant accessibility today. All right. Thank you. Joe Pascucci, former sports director at Global Winnipeg, and that was basically, that was the question I was thinking, do the Winnipeg Jets exist mm. in their current form had Bobby Hall never entered the picture? What do you think, Mackling? You think no, obviously, Greg. You know, I, I like to think at, at some point that Winnipeg would be on the radar. Uh, Winnipeg was once upon a time the, the third largest city in Canada, then the fourth, the fifth, now the seventh or eighth largest city in the country. So perhaps, you know, Winnipeg was one of four cities that, that did host the 1972 Summit Series games here in our country. That was long before Calgary and Edmonton were were the uh you know, metropolises that they are now. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't think Winnipeg gets on the, on the radar for the National Hockey League without the World Hockey Association, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Quebec City, and of course, Hartford all going in. And every single one of those teams has moved away. Winnipeg happened to get a second crack at the National Hockey League because of what happened in Atlanta and the, the, the Jets' relationship or Mark Chipman's relationship with the National Hockey League and Gary Bettman, uh, sort of the, the, the city in waiting, so to speak. But Edmonton is the only team out of that four that came out of the World Hockey Association that didn't lose their team, although they came very close at least once uh, losing the team uh, in Edmonton. So this is just... The legacy of Bobby Hull, it's so much bigger than his, uh, than his goals, so much bigger than uh, him skating down the ice with, with Hull and, or part with uh, Hedberg and Nielsen. It's bigger than what he did in, the, in Chicago because he was the franchise, plain and simple. You referenced a bit, you know, that for you, you're speaking about his on-ice achievements and what he means to you. And, of course, when talking about Hull, people will be talking about controversies, about allegations uh, that are made against him over the years of abuse or racist comments or other and so it's all part and parcel, like, I suppose, of who he was as a human being. But Winnipeg Jets have honored him. His number hangs in the rafters, is it not? For Yes, it does. Yeah. Yep. Hall, dead at 84 today. Chicago Blackhawks legend and Winnipeg Jets legend in his own right.